This is the KOTO Community Radio News for Wednesday, September 1st. I'm Julia Caulfield. And I'm Matt Hoysh. In today's headlines, two San Miguel deaths linked to COVID-19. Masks are back. Planning for a forest. And a mountain weather forecast. The deaths of two San Miguel County residents last week are now linked to COVID-19. However, according to Public Health Director Grace Franklin, they're a bit muddy. One person, the leading cause of their death was not COVID. It was um, a long-term illness. Um, But upon um, examination after um, they passed, um, they did test positive for COVID. Franklin says because the individual had an active COVID infection at the time of death, the state classifies it as a COVID-related death, although not the leading cause. The other person um, who tested positive, um, uh, there was no other really um, leading cause or concern, and um, COVID seemed to be the, um, the main contributing factor to their death. Franklin says both individuals lived in the West End and were unvaccinated. Two additional San Miguel County residents who were also unvaccinated were hospitalized last week due to COVID. Franklin says both have been discharged from the hospital and are recovering at home. Masks will be required in all indoor public spaces in San Miguel County starting Thursday, September 2nd. The requirement will be for all individuals three and up, regardless of vaccination status. I would like it to be for the entire county as we are um, all intertwined and um, we have severe burden across the county and um, to be for a month. So through September, um, because we know that nothing changes overnight. No one data point is sufficient to be making decisions off of and that um, we We need to take that time to really um, cut down transmission to keep our kids in person in school safely and to keep our businesses open. That's San Miguel County Public Health Director Grace Franklin speaking at a San Miguel Board of County Commissioners meeting on Wednesday. She notes positivity, incident and regional hospitalization rates remain elevated. It hasn't gotten better over the last few weeks, even as we've been sounding the alarm, as people have been making adjustments to behaviors. Um, And it really a lot of this has to come down to the Delta variant. It is a more transmissible virus. Um, Those that are fully vaccinated can give it, um, infect other people with this virus if they become sick. Um, And it's really changed the game and how we've been approaching our response. Franklin says she's heard from members of the community questioning the need for public health orders, given the high vaccination rate in the county. She notes that logic is flawed. Until the rest of the world has access to the vaccine, it, like we will continue to be in some version of a COVID response. This virus will continue to mutate as long as there's people um, that um, it can infect. And it really, we need to have higher global, uh, global vaccination rates to um, get to a point where we can really return to um, pre-COVID um, behaviors um, for the long haul. She adds the state recently reached out to discuss further preventative measures for the county. She adds proactively implementing a mask mandate will help keep local control. I think that having a mask requirement 
versus all these other pieces of capacity restrictions and really actually sitting on that dial framework um, puts the control back into our community so we can really determine how are we gonna move forward in small steps rather than having the state dictate the different places that we're going to be um, uh, leveraging up and down for mitigation techniques. San Miguel County commissioners were quick in support for Franklin's mandate. However, they note it's not a pleasant decision. Here's County Commissioners Hillary Cooper and Chris Holstrom. As much as I would rather not be in this situation right now and rather not be uh, hearing from the state that they are um, likely to snap us back, um, uh, I am prepared to support this. This is not something that we want to do. This is something that as a board of public health that we feel is necessary to do at this point based on the numbers and the data that we have in front of us. And either we're becoming lax, the Delta variant is a little more uh, than we can handle at um, the levels that we've been doing. So we all need to tighten up our own personal um, practices, I think. And then again, as the board of health, I, I have to continue to support um, this move and wish absolutely that it were not necessary and hope that we can get out of it as soon as possible. Commissioners note that once a month is over, they would like to evaluate on a regular basis and lift the mask mandate once the data indicates it's safe. The indoor mask mandate will go into effect on Thursday, September 2nd. It will be in place for the next 30 days. 1983 was quite a year. Ronald Reagan signed a bill designating the third Monday of every January Martin Luther King Jr. Day. The Thriller music video came out. Carrie Underwood was born. It was also the last time the U.S. Forest Service updated the forest plan for the Grand Mesa, Uncompahgre, and Gunnison National Forests. A lot has changed in those decades. It's almost as old as I am. And especially when it comes to both the physical and the social environment surrounding our forest, right? So it, we're definitely due for a revised forest plan. That's Megan Eno, Norwood District Ranger for the GMUG. That revision is in the works. The GMUG is now accepting comments on a draft plan that will provide guidance for the Forest Service for what Eno expects will be the next 20 to 30 years. A forest plan is a general framework that guides forest staff when they propose projects analyze, and then ultimately implement those activities. The plan, she explains, has four parts. First, desired conditions. And these are aspirational. They show what the objectives and standards that are in the plan should guide us towards. Next, objectives. These are precise, measurable, and time-specific statements about the work that we intend to do. Over X amount of time, we will achieve the following objectives. Finally, standards and guidelines. When we implement our projects, they're the sideboards for doing that. So a standard in general is like a thou shalt not statement. Um, where a guideline, it's still mandatory, but has more flexibility built into it in terms of how we're going to achieve them. Because the plan is meant to last for so long, you know, explains it doesn't lay out specific projects. Rather, it focuses on bigger picture goals and methods. One area the new plan will help the Forest Service think about differently is recreation. In 1983, there were all sorts of recreation um, tools and the ways that people got into the backcountry that we just had, could not even contemplate at the time. You know, when you think about over snow travel, um, backcountry skiing, mountain bikes even, 
a lot of those things we just didn't even have in our mind in that time. So the, I think one of the biggest changes that you'll see in the new forest plan is the way that we look at recreation and accept that it's one of the largest uses on the landscape. And we need to find ways to both manage for that and provide opportunities for that. The draft plan, Eno says, takes into account the spike in outdoor recreation over the last two years. The plan, she explains, identifies what it calls high-use recreation corridors. We recognize that in those areas, we're seeing such a high level of recreation that we need to be able to manage those areas to a much higher level than we would the rest of the forest. The plan also outlines increased fuel treatments to reduce fire risk throughout the forest. We recognize that we have a higher level of need to manage the landscape for wildfire mitigation and we want to be able to pave the way in order to do that work. The Forest Service is accepting comments on the updated draft GMUG forest plan until November 12th. The plan is available for review on the Forest Service website. For anyone who wants to learn more, the five ranger districts will also hold virtual open houses throughout September. The Norwood Ranger District session will be from 5 to 7 p.m. on Wednesday, September 22nd over Zoom. A portion of Imogene Pass will be closed later this month for construction. According to San Miguel County, the pass will be closed between the town of Telluride and Tomboy, while the county replaces a bridge over Marshall Creek. The closure will begin on Monday, September 13th. It will be closed indefinitely. The Telluride Foundation has raised over $5 million to fund workforce housing development across southwestern Colorado. The funding is a mix of grants and low-interest loans from the state and other foundations. Telluride Foundation President and CEO Paul Major also notes private donors have been willing to write checks. They will absolutely contribute to a real solution. They're not going to just write a check to study the problem or to talk about the problem, or to have another conference about the problem, but they will they will absolutely put capital in, uh, or donate, whatever it is, they will put money in to actually build homes. The foundation's proposed solution is the Rural Homes for Sale for Locals initiative. They aim to reduce the cost of building to make homes affordable by using donated land, panelized and modular construction, and low-cost financing. The hope is to break ground on 25 homes in Norwood in January and have them ready for folks to buy and move into later in 2022. Pricing major notes is still uncertain, but they're aiming to get the Norwood homes on the market for between $200,000 and $350,000. Other projects in the works include up to 14 homes in Ridgeway, 15 homes in Nucla, and 70 in Ure. All homes major explains would be for sale and deed restricted. Lights, camera, action. The 48th Telluride Film Festival kicks off this Thursday. Over 80 feature films, short films, and revival programs from almost 30 countries will screen across Telluride and Mountain Village as the annual Labor Day tradition returns after a COVID-induced year off in 2020. New features at the festival include Come On, Come On, starring Joaquin Phoenix and Gabby Hoffman, The Duke, a comedy with Helen Mirren and Jim Broadbent, The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, a biopic about artist Louis Wayne with Benedict Cumberbatch and Claire Foy, The Lost Daughter, an adaptation of the Elena Ferrante novel of the same name with Olivia Colman, Dakota Johnson, Peter Sarsgaard, and Ed Harris. 
and The Rescue, a documentary by Elizabeth Chai Vassarelli and Jimmy Chin about the 2018 rescue of 12 young soccer players and their coach from a cave in Thailand. Guest director Barry Jenkins has also curated a collection of films. The festival will also honor actors Riz Ahmed and Peter Dinklage, as well as filmmaker Jane Campion with Silver Medallion Awards for significant contributions to the world of cinema. The full festival lineup is available at TellurideFilmFestival.org. The 48th Telluride Film Festival runs from Thursday, September 2nd to Monday, September 6th. Colorado Attorney General Phil Weiser says three officers and two paramedics have been indicted on manslaughter and other charges in the death of Elijah McLean. This comes two years after the 23-year-old black man was put in a chokehold and injected with a sedative in Aurora. Officers stopped him after a 911 caller reported that he looked suspicious. Our goal is to seek justice for Elijah McLean, for his family and friends, and for our state. In so doing, we advance the rule of law and the commitment that everyone is accountable and equal under the law. In a statement, the Aurora Police Association Board of Directors said, quote, our officers did nothing wrong. McLean's death gained widespread attention during last year's protests against racial injustice and police brutality. The officers weren't charged in 2019 after a prosecutor said an autopsy couldn't determine how McLean died. Governor Polis ordered Weiser to open a new criminal investigation. Health officials marked International Drug Overdose Day at the state capitol on Tuesday morning by pledging to spend hundreds of millions of dollars to tackle the issue in coming years. KOTO's Scott Franz has more. Almost 1,500 residents died from overdoses last year. Keith Hayes urged the state to invest in recovery programs at schools. Hayes started working as an overdose recovery manager at a Denver high school after overcoming his own drug addiction. We are in the worst drug epidemic that our country has ever seen. And it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us to help and not leave anybody behind. Lieutenant Governor Diane Primavera says the state's behavioral health system is broken and needs, quote, bold reform. Meanwhile, the state is receiving $55 million for substance abuse treatment efforts from the federal coronavirus recovery program. I'm Scott Franz at the state capitol. The National Weather Service forecast for the western San Juans calls for showers and possible thunderstorms tonight with a low in the mid-40s. Thursday, expect scattered showers and thunderstorms with a high around 60 degrees. Thursday night, calls for showers and possible thunderstorms with a low in the mid-40s. Friday should be mostly sunny with a high in the mid-60s and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms in the afternoon. Friday night, expect mostly clear skies with a low in the mid-40s and a 40% chance of showers and thunderstorms. This has been the news for Wednesday, September 1st. Thanks for listening. If you have a story idea or a news tip, call the news team at 728-3206. We 
would like to thank everyone who has donated to Kodo during our summer fund drive. A huge thank you to Kathy Green, Mackenzie Brewer, Chris Hazen and Kathy Jepson, Dawn and Jane Berman, Mary Higgins, Mike Bordonia, Pam Petty, Simone Florney, Marty Langan, Rosie Cusack, Joanna Kanow, Lance Waring, Carrie DeStefano, Annie and Rick Caulfield, Kara Pallone, Kyle Kohler, Tom and Elaine Schrodel, Deb Dion, Jenny Page, Sephra Maples, Richie Parkhill, Tim Cooper, Amy and Donnie Peters, John Massey, White Floyd, Judah Cooper, Chris Jacquet, Anthony Cavanaugh, Linda Peters, Deb Gesmundo, Richard and Deborah Eidler, Suzanne Chevins and John Wontrobsky, Maria Meredith, Lynn Durazzo, and Jody Metcalf. Thank you all so much. And now, a personal commentary. Hey there, listeners. It's Sarah Holbrook here, the executive director of the Pinhead Institute, furthering STEM education, exploration, and innovation in Telluride, Colorado, and many area communities as well. Um, Hey, did you guys know that we not only support a bunch of different regional first Lego League robotics teams for kids who are between fourth and eighth grade, we also have our third season of the high school first tech challenge robotics team. Um, And today our teammates and captains and our coach are gonna be meeting with the head of the first organization out of Nevada. So that's pretty exciting. I also have a really fun science story for you. The New York Times is reporting that scientists, including those from Cornell, which as an aside, one of our wonderful pinterns from last summer is going to be attending any minute now, starting as a first year student at Cornell. But anyhow, you might know Cornell is famous for bird studies. Uh, And there's a bird study about hummingbirds. And it says that the female birds get hassled less by the male birds, the more markings they have that are similar to the male birds. So they are using kind of the camouflage of the feather patterns of their male counterparts so as not to get hassled too much. That's kind of crazy. Bird adaptations, pretty cool. Hey, if you wanted to know what our summer interns were up to this summer, and I think by now all of them have come back, Um, You should check out our intern presentations, which are scheduled for Wednesday, September 29th. Write this on your calendar now. We'll have an afternoon session, a reception, and then an evening session. So we really hope that you guys can turn out um, for our students at the Opera House in Telluride, Colorado. Uh, Everybody who attends has to be vaccinated and masked. And uh, we look forward to seeing you Wednesday, September 29th, where you can hear all sorts of amazing things like Adriana Diaz from Olathe, Colorado, talking about her time working on a mirror for a telescope at the Laboratory for Atmospheric and Space Physics in Boulder, Colorado. You could also hear about two different students who both attended internships at the Tybee Island Marine Science Center in Georgia, which was fabulous. Anyhow, if you wanna know more about Pinhead, we still actually have some spaces after school for our after school programs. Check it all out at www.pinheadinstitute.org or give me an email uh, shout out, sarah at pinheadinstitute.org. Love hearing from you. There's an H on the end of Sarah. We appreciate your interest in science and education and we'll talk at you again next week. Thanks so much.
Bye for now, Coda listeners. Opinions broadcast over KOTO are those of the speakers. You are also invited to express your views after the news or on access each weekday at around 4 p.m. If you'd like to comment, please contact a staff person here at Coto. We encourage you to speak out on important public issues.